0: You know, there are some organizations here in town where the mission is so clear that everybody knows why that organization exists. For example, let's take Georgetown High School. Like, why does Georgetown High School exist? Well, it's so that young minds can learn and research and grow. It exists for education, that and football. Okay, this is Texas, after all. So education, football, that's pretty much why Georgetown High School exists, Okay. How about St. David's Hospital? Like why does the hospital exist? Well, it's so that people can live. A hospital keeps people healthy. A hospital keeps people alive. And what about Starbucks coffee? Why does Starbucks exist? Same reason. Starbucks helps people come alive, right? And what about Hill Country Bible Church Georgetown? Now, here's a key question. Why does our church exist? Why does it matter? I mean, what does God expect from you and from me? That's what we're going to talk about today. And interestingly enough, we're going to start back in the book of Exodus. I'm going to do a bit of a deep dive here theologically this morning to help you better understand the concepts of holiness, the purpose of the Old Testament tabernacle, and how all of that ties into the coming of Jesus and our mission as a church. So stay with me here. Let me begin with a little background information. Okay, Israel has just escaped from captivity in Egypt, and they're heading toward the promised land. And they're on their way through the wilderness, and God tells Moses he wants the people to build a sort of sanctuary for him. And then the rest of the book of Exodus is pretty much a blueprint of instructions for this house. And the main idea we're going to key in on is this certain places, certain objects, even certain people were to be set apart, they were to be sacred, they were to be holy. Okay, regarding the priests, Moses is told, this is what you are to do to consecrate them, to make them holy so that they may serve me as priests. So there were certain things that had to be done to make these priests holy. Certain people were to be set apart as holy and then certain places were to be set apart as sacred as well. You know, they were to make this tabernacle with an outer courtyard and an inside part called the holy place. And then finally, at the center of the holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was to be kept, it was to be even more sacred. It was called the holy of holies or the most holy place. And they were told that a curtain should separate the holy place from the most holy place. Now, this concept of sacredness, I think it's very different than the mindset in our world. So I was trying to think of a modern day example here. The closest I could come is this. This is what always comes to my mind. On certain planes what do they use to separate the coach section from first class? They use a curtain, right? And if you're in coach, you're not allowed to go on the other side of that curtain because people in coach are common, right? They're ordinary. They're secular. But first class is the holy of holies. They have the sacred chairs, the wide chairs. They have the sacred linens and the cutlery of sacred metals. You can't use that stuff if you're in coach. And if you're in the Holy of Holies on a plane, you have to be pure, you have to be clean and so they bring you a moist toilet to bathe your face. In coach, you just sit there in your own sweat and nobody really cares. right? And if you're in coach, you also can't go to the other side of that curtain to use the sacred restrooms of first class either. Do you get the picture here? Like there's this space divided by a curtain so nothing can go in and out of there. And this whole space where they're going to prepare the sacrifice is holy, And certain meat is considered holy as well. It says, Take the ram for the ordination, that would be the offering, and cook the meat in a sacred place. But no one else may eat them because they're sacred. And if any of the meat of the ordination ram or any bread is left over till morning, burn it up. It must not be eaten because it is sacred. And then the altar where it's gonna be offered, that's to be sacred, that's to be holy says for 7 days make atonement for the altar and consecrate it then the altar will be most holy and whatever touches it will be holy you know both holiness and uncleanness are kind of like a physical contagion in that sense they spread by touch all right so you have people places meat altars that are holy but that's not all there are also clothes garments that are sacred that are holy you know, they're instructed to make these sacred garments, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a tunic, a turban, and a sash. Exodus 28.4 says, they are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so that they may serve me as priests. Okay, certain garments are now to be sacred. Yeah, you know, I was trying to come up with a modern day example, and the closest I could come would be a wedding. You know, at a wedding, what does the bride wear? Well, it's a wedding dress. And it's a special dress. How often does she wear it after the wedding? Never. Like it's set apart. What does a groom wear at a wedding? Nobody cares, right? He's just a dude. (laughs) Nothing sacred about a groom. But the bride has other sacred garments too, like something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. Set apart. Sacred garments says, take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod, the ephod itself and the breast piece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred diadem to the turban. So now there's some kind of an emblem or a sign and that is holy. Then there's certain oils that they're to blend. It says, make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. And finally, they're to make incense. It says, it is to be salted and pure and sacred. It shall be most holy to you. Sacred people, sacred tent, sacred places, sacred garments, sacred meat, sacred incense, sacred oils. Wow. It's like there's ordinary stuff and there's holy stuff. But why such a huge emphasis on this concept of sacred and common? It's like they needed to learn something about the holiness of God. They needed a kind of radar, a kind of discernment, but it's not all clear yet. And so they're given training wheels to teach them for a while. But it's like they have two realms. Okay, one realm is the holy, the clean, the pure, the sacred. And then there's a curtain. And the other realm is the ordinary, the everyday, common, secular realm. This is special. This is not special. This is for a few, the priests, the chief priests. This is for everybody. You can be normal and live over here. This is everyday life, but over here is the sacred, the holy. And it gets a different set of rules. Now, within the holiness sphere, there were even gradations of holiness. Like certain places were holier than others. You know at the core, the holiest place was the holy of holies. It's also called the most holy place. Then after that, you would move to the holy place and then the sanctuary of the temple. Then beyond that were the courtyards that were nearby. And of course, all that was contained in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem wasn't just a city, it was the holy city. And then Jerusalem is in Palestine. Palestine was not just an ordinary land. I mean, to this day, it's sometimes called the holy land. And then there's the rest of the earth. And the closer you get to the most holy place, the closer you get to God, the holier it is. It's kind of like a nuclear power plant. You know, the closer you get to the nuclear reactor, the more radiation you're bombarded with. In the Old Testament, it was like holiness was centralized right there. In fact, a fascinating aspect of the tabernacle is that in the outer courts, the metal used for the rods and the posts is bronze. And then as you move inward, they use silver. And when you get to the holy place, the objects are covered in gold. And in the most holy place, everything that is metal is pure gold. So as you move toward the holy place, the increased value of metals indicates increased levels of holiness. And when you get to the center, that's like ground zero. There is the presence of God, visualized by a cloud that covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory, filled the tabernacle. Are you still with me? Now, it gets even more interesting when it comes to people. You know, certain people were set apart as holier than other people. And the holiest person in all of Israel is the high priest. Okay, only the high priest gets to go into the most holy place. And at that, only one time a year. Then after the high priest, there are the other priests. And then there are the Levites. They assist the priests. And then after that are the men and women of Israel. And then beyond that are the Gentiles. There's kind of a scale of who is more holy and who is less holy. And around the tabernacle, the less holy you are, the farther away you have to stay from the most holy place. So there's the court of Gentiles. And if you're a Gentile, you can go this far, no farther. And then the court of the women. If you're a woman of Israel, you can go this far, but no farther. Then the court of the man. men, right? If you're a man, you can go up to that boundary, but no further. And, and then the priest might be allowed into the tabernacle or the temple, but the most holy place, that's reserved. <laughs> there was a curtain that shut everybody else out and shut the holy in. And the whole framework is built around separating the holy from the ordinary. And the visual of it all were these dividing walls, okay? Dividing walls. But then Jesus comes along and everything is going to change, okay? This is the hinge of history. Jesus comes and what happens to this old system? Well, look at what Jesus does, okay? Speaking of Jesus, John 1.14 says, the word, okay, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, the Greek word for dwelt here is skeno, which was derived from their word for tent or tabernacle. John uses this word very deliberately. It could be translated as the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. In other words, what the tabernacle itself was just a picture of has now become a reality in Jesus Christ. God has come and is now present in our midst why John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory we beheld his glory it was glorious see John is using loaded language here part of what this means is that the old system is not going to work anymore because what it was a picture of has now become a reality in Jesus god now lives among us and folks Jesus constantly gets in trouble for violating this boundary this old system Like he eats with sinners and he gets in trouble for that. He doesn't regard them as making him unholy. In fact, it's like he thinks he can make them holy. That was unheard of. He touches lepers and it's like he doesn't think they have the power to make him unclean. It's like he thinks he can make them clean. And he heals on the Sabbath when that wasn't allowed. And when he gets criticized for violating this distinction between what's holy and what's ordinary, not only does he not apologize for it, he makes the most outrageous statements. You know, once Jesus and his disciples were walking along on the Sabbath, and they were picking and eating grain. And some of the religious leaders got on his case for that. And so Jesus, he talks about an Old Testament passage where David and his companions went into the tabernacle and ate the sacred bread. And he's basically saying, You guys ought to know better than to have a superficial reading of the law. And he goes on to say this I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. Let me say that again one greater than the temple is here. Now, that is a staggering statement. I mean, who's he referring to? Himself. Why is he greater than the temple? Because the temple was a picture of God's presence on earth. Now it's not just a picture anymore. Now God has come to earth. One greater than the temple is here, Jesus says. That's staggering. That was mind-blowing for them. You see, in the old system, the temple was the holiest place on earth. Now the holiest place is wherever Jesus is. What does that mean? Well, it means that now ordinary food, ordinary days, ordinary offices, ordinary schools, ordinary people are becoming cleansed and holy and God bathed because they are where Jesus is. And the old system's going to have to go. Like the old way of thinking, some stuff is on the holy list and everything else is just ordinary. That's history. Speaking to Gentiles, Ephesians 2 12 to 15 says this Remember, that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Wow. Yeah, one day a Samaritan woman was talking with Jesus and she asked him a question. It was a hot topic question in that day. Okay. She's a Samaritan and they believe that God was revealed in a different way. Like they worshiped in a different place on a different mountain. And she says to Jesus, the Samaritans worship on Mount Gerizim. And you Jews worship in Jerusalem. Who's right? Now, of course, any rabbi knew the correct answer to this question. Jerusalem, the temple, that's where God is. But Jesus says, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Okay, her jaw is dropping at this point. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Doesn't matter where, because wherever Jesus is, it's holy ground. One day, a group of religious leaders asked Jesus for a sign. And he says this, he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Again, he's saying things no rabbi would say. He says, destroy this temple. And he's talking about himself. He's talking about his body as the center of the presence of God. And he's linking his death to the death of this old system. And he's linking his resurrection to the birth of a new system. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they do destroy it. They crucify him. And this is what Matthew writes. He says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, okay, he's on a cross, right? He's on the cross dying for our sins. He says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And here it is. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, like all the way down. The dividing line is just erased, One commentator said this about that particular moment in time. He said, when the curtain comes down, it used to be one place, one day, one man where the most holy was experienced. Now it could be anywhere. Now it could be anybody. Now it could be any time. When the curtain came down, it's not just that people could get in. Now God is getting out. Now God is on the loose. Now God is reoccupying his world. Now God is reclaiming the human race. Every inch, every moment, every person, you never know. Any day, any place, any person, God could be right there. That's good. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said to his followers, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay, no surprise there. And in all Judea, That would be all of Israel. And Samaria, and then here's the key, and to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. Now, where are the ends of the earth? Wherever you are. See, now Jesus is the center, not Jerusalem. Jesus is the center. And where's Jesus going? To the ends of the earth. And where are the ends of the earth? It's wherever you go, wherever I go. See, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And I would ask you that question. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Now, God's Spirit, which was associated with the Holy of Holies, God's Spirit resides in you. Now you are the Holy of Holies. And together we are a living temple. Not a building. The church is not a building. If COVID has taught us anything, it's that we don't have to meet in a building to do church or to be the church. See, Jesus obliterated that old system. And so we gather, not because it's holy inside the walls of a church, we gather to remember it's holy out there too. It's holy out there because God is already out there. Because Jesus died, the curtain came down, the old system was dismantled. And wherever you go now, Jesus is already there. So, our vision and your job, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to go out into the world and picture Jesus around every person you meet and hear Jesus in every conversation you hold and allow Jesus to bring life and love and hope and joy through you. You know, we've talked before about how we as a church should never become a holy huddle what does that mean exactly? Well, imagine a football team ending a huddle and saying, man, that was a great huddle. Let's, let's huddle some more. You know, I enjoy this huddle so much. Let's never leave the huddle because it's kind of brutal out there. And there's blocking and tackling. and Other guys are trying to hurt us, right? Let's, let's just focus on the huddle. Let's keep having bigger and better huddles. <laughs> Folks, the, the point of the huddle is not the huddle, is it? The point of the huddle is to get out of the huddle and get into the game. The world doesn't care how good our huddles are, but the world is full of people who desperately need to know how much they matter to God, that there's a God who loves them. You know what? That doesn't happen in our huddles. I've heard of teams using a no huddle offense. I've never heard of a team using a no offense huddle. (laughs) Think about that. Or imagine the staff in a hospital saying, you know what? We're all so healthy around here. I'm healthy. You're healthy. Whatever we do. Okay. Let's not let any sick people around us. I mean, our goal is to avoid sick people at all costs because they might make us sick. (laughs) You may laugh, but that's a common mentality among Christians today. But try squaring that up against what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, not these guys over here who think they're healthy and holy, but the sick. Of course, that's all of us apart from Jesus. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, we're all in the same boat as sinners. We're all fallen, but we are all God-loved. And when you go into the world, you'll discover Jesus is already there. And when you see people, including people you don't like, right, the problem people or the outcasts of society, Jesus loves them. Jesus cares about them. You know, as a good dispensationalist in my theology, I understand that Matthew 25, 40 actually speaks of a time in the future in the millennial kingdom. But I would tell you that the principle of this passage still applies to us today. When Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it for me. Whatever you did for one of the least of these. You know, the hurting, the sick, the poor, those who've done something wrong and and now they're in prison somewhere. In some way that you might not fully understand, whatever you did for them, I was there, Jesus says. You did it for me. You did it for me. Jesus says, you love them, you're loving me. You ignore them, you're ignoring me. See, people are holy ground. You know, Paul understood this. He said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, your mission is to bring God's love to the world. In whatever you do, volunteer or paid, like in your cubicle, your office, your desk, your school, your neighborhood, you are on holy ground. You're on holy ground there. And we gather together either in a church building or houses or via Zoom to prepare ourselves to bring His love to the world. So no more, here's our little club with our rules, our building, our customs, our clothes. Like we've got to get out of the huddle and join Jesus in his work in the world. So let's get out and help somebody who's sick or lonely or, or spiritually lost. You know, spend some time with an elderly person in an assisted living facility if you can. Or, or befriend somebody at work because everybody needs a friend or go visit somebody in jail because there are a lot of people who are sitting there all by themselves. And maybe buy food for someone in need this Thanksgiving and deliver it to them. Or have the courage to help someone who doesn't know Jesus take a next step in their spiritual journey. Like maybe invite them to church or send them the link to watch the message online. Like bless a child, teach a teenager, love a neighbor. I mean, Jesus has already gone out to reclaim his world. So let's get out of the huddle and join him. Let's get out there, people. Every person God looks at, he loves. This is John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. And he calls us to reach out to them in love. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. It says, God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I want you to hear that again. He has committed to us, to you and to me, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Mm. We live in a world that's so divisive, like one group fighting against another, culture wars, people writing off people they don't like or they don't agree with. It's just so ugly. You know what? I think our world is crying out for some community that says, you know what? We want to love you. You don't have to be like us first. We just want to love you because God loves you. But what if we were that group, a church known for loving people, all people, because there's no division in Jesus folks, the curtain has come down. And now God is on the loose. Now God is reoccupying his world. Now God is reclaiming the human race and he's doing it through us. He's making his appeal through us. He's showing his love through us. Let's unleash God's love here in Georgetown, Texas and beyond so that every man, every woman, and every child can experience the life-changing reality of Jesus. The world is waiting. God is waiting on us to go and be His ambassadors. Will you do that? Let's pray. Lord, that's my prayer, God, that we would recognize that You have torn down the curtain. The dividing wall of hostility is gone that the holiest place now on earth is is no longer the most holy place in a temple somewhere, a tabernacle. It's wherever you are, Jesus, and you are everywhere. And you call us to go. You call us to represent you, to bring your love to a lost and dying and broken world. God, would we take that mission seriously? Would we not just stay in our holy huddles and come to church or do church at home and small group and the things we do with other believers, I I pray that it wouldn't be about the huddle. It would be about getting out of the huddle and going and and making a difference, blocking and tackling and and scoring for you. Lord, that we would be on the offensive and that we would recognize that as we take stands and and move forward and, and bring your love to lost people, to hurting people, to sick people, to lonely people, to people who need to know that there's a God who loves them, that we could change the world one life at a time. So God, I just pray that through your Holy Spirit, we would be able to do this, that we would recognize our calling is to love our neighbor as ourselves, including our enemies. You say love our enemies even, that we might bring your love to a lost world that we might bring this message of reconciliation to people who need to hear it, that people would know they can be reconciled with you, God, and we can even bring reconciliation with each other, with other people. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name.